Isn't that good news? I know it's a familiar story, but it ought to strike us with awe in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls every time we read it. Every time we're reminded of the presence of God. That's what we've been talking about. Uh, really, only one other Sunday. By the way, it's good to see you again. Um, we were not here last week because of a power outage, but uh, we continue on today in this series called Christmas Presence, where we focus not on the present, P-R-E-S-E-N-T, but on the presence of God, unwrapping the greatest gift that God ever gave us, and that was, of course, himself. We were driving down the road yesterday and coming back from, from doing some things, and Tyler asked me, why, why couldn't God just reveal himself to us? As we were driving along, the sun happened to be over to my right. I said, Tyler, why don't you go ahead and stare at the sun? Uh, quality parenting lesson, I know, I know. <laughs> so he looked, he squinted, he looked away. And I said, that's just an inkling of why. Because God's presence is too holy and too righteous and too bright and too all-encompassing that if God were to reveal himself, it would literally not just burn your retinas out, it would burn you up. Because his holiness is so consuming. And so God did what only he could do. He came down in the form of a little child, a baby. And they gave him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I hope I explained that to my son correctly. I will tell you that sometimes kids don't always get the story exactly right. An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, like, Barry, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby. You will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. <laughs> the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem. And which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> oh, no. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. So Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place... And here in Bethlehem, hand that that you can stay stay as a staple. And then he just pointed the way they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, "A new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews." The angel was singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, 
Yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes. Maybe have to camp out at night. As we think about the story, it's fun. Oh, that's a good parting shot. It's fun to think about what actually happened. Of course, uh, many times we get the popular story, get a little bit mixed up with the biblical account. And that's okay. We're going to talk about some of that today. But of course, we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of things that we talked about the last time we were here. First is to review. First, God had a plan. Uh, that Jesus wasn't an afterthought, an accident. It, it, it was, wasn't just happenstance. But in fact, from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, when God was talking to the enemy, he said very clearly that the seed of that woman would crush the head of our enemy. Now, of course, she didn't know that was involved, but that thread beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and running all the way through the Bible reminds us again and again and again that the baby was an expected child, that God always had a plan for saving us. And that plan was gift number two, that Jesus became a man. Jesus, of course, had always existed. The Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God in Genesis chapter one. There's the account as they create man. There's the account that says, let us make man in our image. The plural us there, meaning, of course, that Jesus was already there. He wasn't just the babe in the manger. That was the incarnation when he stepped into our world, put on human skin and lived as you and I do in the world that we live in, except one very big exception He was perfect, without sin, and flawless. Today, we're going to look at the final three gifts as we turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, part of that has already been read for you, but I hope that you'll turn there on your phone or iPad or if you're one of those old-fashioned people with a paper Bible. Uh, That would be great. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The scripture there reads this way. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him, laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Caesar Augustus wanted to count everyone. The purpose of this, of course, as we do in modern day, was to uh, make sure they levied the correct amount of taxes, made sure that they had enough people registered for the draft. Uh, But they did this once every 14 years, and the purpose was to count all of the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire. Now, God did something different. Although Caesar wanted to count everyone, God was about to show the world that everyone counts. Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and following, "Are Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not one of, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are worth, you are of more value 
than many sparrows. God not only understood our predicament as you and I, but he understood their predicament. In fact, all of Adam's race was in this predicament that we could not get back to God on our own. That we couldn't do enough good, do enough good things, do enough righteous works, earn enough favor with him to achieve his holiness. Matthew gives us the genealogy of Joseph. Of course, uh, that was Jesus' legal father through, and it traces the lineage back through David's son Solomon. Luke gives us the genealogy of Mary through David's son Nathan. Both Joseph and Mary, being descendants of David, meant that they were to head to Judea. So it, it's something you don't have to remember at all, but it's something that helped me was to remember the acronym BEN, B-E-N. Ben Tyson's like, ah, woo-woo. Ben is a simple way to remember about the story of Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He escaped to Egypt, and he nestled in Nazareth. Okay, that last one was a stretch, I know. But he was born in Bethlehem, he escaped to Egypt, and he nestled in Nazareth. So we understand that the Savior was born in Bethlehem, but he also fulfilled the prophecy to be a Nazarene. That's important because the Messiah had to fill a very specific list of requirements, and Jesus fulfilled all of those. So they leave Nazareth, they set off to Bethlehem, that little town which played such a big part in the story of Jesus. This town, by the way, was where Jacob's beloved Rachel was buried. It is David's hometown and the place where he was anointed as king. That little town served in a big way in the Bible story. It was the biblical place where mothers dwelled and where kings were born. And there, Mary's first son, Jesus the Christ, was born. And because many were there to register, there was no room at the inn to stay. And now Jesus, we understand, was the firstborn child, but he was not the only child. Matthew chapter 13 tells us this. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters here with us? When then did this man get all these things? So we know he had at least four brothers and two sisters and possibly more. And uh, just as a little reference here, you think you are always being compared to your older siblings. Try being the younger sibling to Jesus. Gift number four, when we go back to the story in Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, reads this way. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And just to answer Tyler's question, this wasn't even the Lord. This is the glory of the Lord. And when it appeared, they were filled with great fear, verse 9 says. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The story is one of great joy, and it reminds us of gift number four, that we do not need to fear any longer. It's interesting we talk about the shepherds. What was the purpose of the shepherds? Well, of course, that was to raise animals and to make sure they were taken care of. Why would those shepherds be needed constantly? The answer is one word. Sacrifice. 
Those animals had to be raised all the time because Bethlehem was near Jerusalem and the animals were mostly being raised. Of course, there were some for food and and things like that, but most of them were being raised for one purpose, to be offered. Day and night, all year round, there was constant need of blood. And that need of blood came as a result of sin. Who better to share the good news of the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, than that had been born that night in Bethlehem, than the shepherds who were so used to raising sacrifices? The shepherds feared the angel, and we know that nearly every heavenly encounter with God or angels or any sort of holy interaction was the same response over and over and over again. It was fear and dread. Abram, Moses, Job, Isaiah, they all had the same response. And this reaction by the shepherds is common. Fear is what kept the ten spies from trusting God. Fear is what sunk Peter. Fear is what kept the servant from using his talent. And fear is what will cripple you and I. Fear is what will keep us from forgetting the story. Fear is what keeps us from trusting God. Fear is what makes us think, you know, that's a good story for kids. But I've been on the naughty list a lot. I've done some really bad things. You don't even know, preacher, what I've done. You, you can't even understand what my story is, and you may well be right. But I can tell you this. God does. God absolutely understands where you are, that you are worth more than many sparrows. And that he sent his son to die for you. That he offered his son for you. Now listen, I've only got one son as well. And as much as I love all of you in here, there's not a one of you that I would offer my son for. His love, God's love, was so deep and so powerful and so all-encompassing for you that when the only answer was to give his own son... He freely did it. He freely did it because he loves you. And because he wants eternity with you. And so may we not forget the beauty of this story and the value of it. And the hope that we're given that we need not be afraid any longer. That you can close your eyes at night. And know that if you never open your eyes again in this world. If you are in Jesus, you need not fear. Because of the babe, you can have eternity with him. If you live in obedience to his love and to his commands. The Bible, by one account, says do not be afraid 365 times. Well, I didn't exactly go through and verify that. But if it's true, that's a pretty good daily reminder from God. That we need to live strong and courageous lives and not fear any longer. The shepherds, the shepherds could have remained scared and silent, telling no one about the amazing news. But thankfully, oh, thankfully, they didn't. What's, what's fear crippling you from doing? Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. He said, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You see, most people are afraid of God because they think and they know of all the things they've done. They have this scenario in their mind playing out of what it will be like when they step into glory and are face to face with their creator. I would ask teenagers this over the years in youth ministry. What do you think it will be like if you could meet God face to face? Austin, come here a second. If you could, if you could meet God face to face, come up here with me. And you're standing right there, right in front of your creator. He's the one who made you. He's the one who created you in your womb. He's the one who formed you. He gave you every bit of your brains, your heart. He's given you your personality. He's given you purpose. He made you for a reason. What do you think he will say? You know, the number one answer that I heard from teenagers over and over and over again. They would say, if God looked in my eyes, I fear he would say, I am so disappointed in you. Look at all I gave you. Look at all you did. And you wasted it. Why can't you be better? Why didn't you do more? You see, but I need to tell you something. If you're here this morning... And you felt like that towards God? You need to know that's a lie. That's a lie put there by your enemy since the beginning. That your father hated you, that he was disappointed, that his sin made you and him so angry. That he wants nothing to do with you. That he's hoping that you'll come back groveling on your knees and that he will just, with a moment, send you into eternal hell. But that is not What God wants to do. In the moment that the babe came down and he was born to that virgin on that day, whenever it was 2,000 years ago, what he was saying to Austin, to me, to all of you, is I love you. And I'm not letting you go. Austin, have you ever had a hug before, buddy? Let's try this. Jennifer, Luke, you got to hug this guy some more. Okay. All right. Listen, that is the message of the babe in the manger. You don't have to be afraid because he's done everything under heaven to bring you back to him. He wouldn't do that if he was disappointed in you. He wouldn't do that if he didn't love you. And he's done everything he can, but there's one thing he won't do. He won't force you. He won't force you to love him. You got to choose to do that. Okay, thank you, Austin, for helping me. And please, give that kid a hug. I mean, really. (laughs) We don't have to be afraid. Praise God, we don't have to be afraid anymore. Because he's done everything that we might have eternity and a home with him. If you're here this morning and you're carrying this burden and you feel like God would never 
have me. He's so disappointed in me. He's so angry with me. I want to remind you of what Jesus said again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. In Luke chapter 2, the story goes on in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The the silence of God, you see, for 400 years was broken with a heartbeat. The heartbeat of a baby In a virgin's womb, that silence gave way to the sacred. And that sacred message was this, that God is for you. The purpose of the birth of Christ wasn't just the life of Christ, but also the death of Christ. And three days later, his glorious resurrection. That was the purpose of the babe. Because of his birth and his life and his death, we do not need to fear any longer. We can have great joy over the good news that God is for you. He hasn't given up on you. Jesus was both Savior and Lord. Now, Luke is only one of two places in the gospel where Jesus is referred to as Savior. Many people know they need a Savior, but few are ready to make him Lord. And let me just tell you, in the loving those ways I can, you cannot have the Savior of Jesus if you aren't willing to obey the Lord as Jesus, Lord Jesus. He was sent to save those who obey him. He was sent to save those who love him. And he won't force you to do that. Many love the baby Jesus, but don't want the man Jesus interfering in their lives. The shepherds went quickly to this to see this angelically announced newborn. What about the wise men, the magi? We, we, aren't they supposed to be in the story? Well, Matthew chapter 2 says they didn't come till much later, after the birth. In fact, by the time they arrived, they were no longer in a manger, but in some type of house there in Bethlehem. Were there three wise men? The Bible never says. The Bible only says there were three gifts. The sign that night was a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in the last place we would normally see or place a baby. That manger was, in every sense, a king-sized bed. 
But the newborn was nothing new in heaven's eyes. He was the centerpiece of all heaven, you see. He was planned out and laid down all of that to take on flesh, to live and to die and to rise again. And he did that for you. He came from heaven to earth for you. You know the song. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. But why did he do that? Why did he lay all that down? Why did he give up glory and step into this grimy, disgusting, sin-filled world? He did that for you. He did that because he's for you. And because he loves you so much. He came, became sin for you. He lived for you. When they stretched out his arms and they lashed him to a cross... And raised him up as he breathed his last breaths in this world. As he told the angels, no, no, stay back. This is the plan. As they crucified God, he did that for you. And he was raised to a new life for you. The only response I can think of is Romans 8.31. What shall we say in response to this? If God is so for us. Then who can be against us? Whatever sins you may have, you can at last this morning have peace with God, which transcends all understanding. But this peace will not come by being good enough, by doing all the right things, by keeping the rules 100% or by any other effort you can dream up. No, in fact, Isaiah said your righteousness is but filthy rags to God. It means very little. But because of a baby... But because of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can have lasting, true, eternal peace. The baby was given for you. My question is this morning, will you seek and follow him as Lord? The baby is easy. The Savior, oh, that's a welcome message. But Lord is the step, the final step you need to make to make the first step of an eternal journey toward heaven. And this morning, even if though it is Christmas... If you are ready to take the first step, if you have stood here like Austin and just just in shame, wondering if God could ever, ever, ever love you after all the things you've done. I want to invite you this morning, not just to the babe, but to the man, not just to the Savior, but to the Lord. And I want you to obey him and put him on in baptism and take those first steps of a new Christian Receiving his grace and his mercy and his love. Because God did all of that. But he won't force you to accept his son. So I'm here to ask you, to invite you to come. If you need his son, if you do not have peace with God. And you are ready to finally, once and for all, have his true, lasting and eternal peace. Then I I want to bid you come. And if you have been in Christ, but you've wandered away. And you need our encouragement, our prayers, our love, and just a reminder that God is still for you. I want to invite you to come this morning. Our shepherds await you. If you have any need, please come as we stand and as we sing.